1: We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy, author, he's constitutional scholar, and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll com- uh, continue our conversation about immigration law and policy. Andrew Drapas, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, he'll be with us as well. It is June the 29th, and on this day in 1995, the American space shuttle Atlantis docked with the Russian space station Mir to form the largest man-made satellite ever to orbit the uh, the Earth. This historic moment of cooperation between former rival space programs was also the 100th human space mission in American history. At the time, Daniel Golden, chief of the NASA, of NASA, called it the beginning of a new era of friendship and cooperation. Well, maybe now, not so much, but nevertheless, between the United States and Russia, With millions of viewers watching on television, Atlantis blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center in eastern Florida on the 27th of uh, June 1995. Just after 6 a.m. on June the 29th, Atlantis and its seven crew members approached Mir as both crafts orbited the Earth some 245 miles above Central Asia near the Russian-Mongolian border. When they spotted the shuttle, the three cosmonauts on Mir broadcast Russian folk songs to Atlantis to welcome them. Over the next two hours, the shuttle's commander, Robert Hoot Gibson, expertly maneuvered his craft towards the space station. To make the docking, uh, Gibson had to steer the 100-ton shuttle to within three inches of Mir at a closing rate of no more than one foot every 10 seconds. Pretty amazing, huh? The docking went perfectly and was completed at two seconds off the target arrival time and using 200 pounds less fuel than had been anticipated combined Atlantis and the 123-ton Mir formed the largest spacecraft ever in orbit. It was only the second time ships from two countries had linked up in space. The first was in June 1975 when the American Apollo capsule and a Soviet uh, spacecraft briefly joined in orbit. Once the docking was completed, Gibson and Mir's commander Vladimir Dishlov uh, greeted each other by clasping hands in a victorious celebration of a historic moment. A former uh, formal exchange of gifts followed with Atlantis crew bringing chocolate, fruit and flowers, and the Mir cosmonauts offering traditional Russian welcoming gifts of bread and salt. Atlantis remained docked with Mir for five days before returning to Earth, leaving two fresh Soviet cosmonauts on the space station. The three veteran uh, Mir crew members returned with the shuttle, including two Russian, and Norman Thagard, a U.S. astronaut who rode in a Russian rocket to the space station in uh, mid-1995, spent over 100 days in space, a U.S. endurance record. NASA's shuttle Mir program continued for 11 missions, It was a crucial step towards the construction of the International Space Station, which, of course, is now in orbit. It certainly did bring our countries together closer, but uh, right now, of course, the relationship is frayed because of what's happening in Ukraine. By the way, Florida is a closed primary state, and voters wanted to vote in the Democrat or Republican primary contest must be registered within their party of choice by July 25th. So if uh, you haven't received something from Jennifer Edwards, who's the head of elections here in uh, Collier County, you need to go to the website and check it out. Uh, the website is colliervotes.gov, colliervotes.gov. And uh, again, you have to register by the 25th of July, and Election Day is the August 23rd. Very important day, and I know you care if you're listening to this, this program about what happens to our country and what's happening here locally. Uh, do make sure that you're able to vote. And by the way, uh, voters in several states went to the polls yesterday in a final major primary election night before a few big elections coming up in August, with Republicans hoping to keep momentum growing ahead of the November and Democrats clamoring to hang on to the slivers of power they still have. Uh, We do have a few results. Lee Zeldin defeated Andrew Giuliani in the uh, New York GOP governor's primary. Mary Miller defeated Rodney Davis in Illinois congressional GOP primary, and Mike Lee held off a couple of challenges in the Utah GOP senatorial primary. Lauren Boebert won her primary in Colorado. Uh, by the way, all of Trump's endorsees won their races. I think he was 12-0 yesterday, and we'll have, of course, some more results tomorrow once things firm up, but uh, it's a great. Uh, I think Trump overall is 144-10 in his endorsements. While the Supreme Court's going to allow the state of Louisiana's congressional district map to remain in place through November, the midterm elections, another win for the GOP, President Biden's vaccine mandate for federal workers has, all, has been blocked again after the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans dissolved its uh, April, ruling by a, a three-judge panel that upheld the administration's requirement. Until the court's 17 judges reconsider the appeal, the nationwide injunction against the mandate from a Texas federal judge issued in January remains in effect. Uh, despite pledging as president-elect that he would not push vaccine mandates, Biden's announced on, January, on September 9, 2021, that he was imposing a vaccine mandate on federal employees with no option to test. He also sought mandates for health care workers, federal contractors, and large private employers. Thus far, only a mandate for the healthcare personnel remains in effect, along, along with one that applies to the military. By the way, uh, no leadership from Biden. He's just a bully. He just pushes people around, makes demands on, on their behavior. That's not leadership, in my opinion. <clears throat> Yesterday at the January 6th committee meeting, Cassidy Hutchinson, who's she? Well, she was a, an aide to uh, the uh, president's uh, chief of staff. Anyhow, she testified that former President Trump knew some of his supporters were armed with weapons before urging them to march to the Capitol. She also said she overheard Trump demanding to remove magne- magnetometers, which is what the Secret Service uses to find hidden weapons, saying the protesters weren't there to hurt him. Trump's behavior, citing uh, secondhand information, Hutchinson said Trump demanded he be taken to the Capitol after his speech, <laughs> saying something along the lines of, I'm, not, I'm the <laughs> effing president. And then he even tried to grab the car's steering wheel and possibly lunged at the throat of the secret servant agent. This sounds like stuff out of the Babylon Bee. It's just incredible. Uh, after the January six attacks, Hutchinson said that Meadows and Trump, now Meadows is uh, who she worked for, uh, lawyer Rudy Giuliani were both looking for presidential pardons. Hutchinson also testified that the White House chief of staff knew the attacks were getting violent in the Capitol, but he didn't intervene. Within an hour, her complete testimony was totally discredited. It kind of reminds me of Christine Blasey Ford. You remember that, uh, testifying against Brett Kavanaugh? Just unbelievable. These uh, Democrats are doing anything to try and discredit Trump, who they know will ride roughshod over them in the election in 2024. Well, the U.S. Secret Service said it'll cooperate with the House committee investigating the January 6th uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol after former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson on Tuesday claimed she heard that Trump lunged at the driver inside the presidential car and demanded that he be taken to the Capitol. According to the reports, agents are prepared to go before Congress to flatly contradict the aide's story of an enraged Trump determined to get to the Capitol at a security breach was taken uh, there. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's a, first of all, there's a plexiglass uh, barrier between the president in the back seat and the driver. This it couldn't have happened. It's physically impossible to happen. Trump bluntly denied her account. In addition to dubbing the entire select committee inquiry a biased and partisan effort to discredit him and potentially ruin his chances of reclaiming the White House in 2024, commenting on a social platform, "True social, he said, "I hardly know who this person is, Cass- Cassidy Hutchin, Hutchinson." Other than I heard very negative things about her, Tony, Phony, and and Leaker. And when she requested to go with certain others to the team to Florida after I served out my full term, I personally turned down her request. So she apparently was holding a grudge. Why did she uh, want to go with us if she felt uh, I was so terrible? I understand she was very upset and angry that I didn't want her to go or be a member of the team. She is bad news, said the president. He also took the opportunity on True Social to lash out once more at the House. January 6th probe is a farce. Her fake story and that I tried to grab the steering wheel of the White House limousine in order to steer to the Capitol building is sick and fraudulent, very much like the unselect committee itself wouldn't even have been possible to do such a ridiculous thing. So, again, uh, in my opinion, the January 6th committee is desperate. They tried to uh, position this person to discredit Trump. Didn't work. Totally discredited within an hour. Well, you probably heard, but Jelaine uh, Jizane, Jelaine Maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison for her role in helping powerful pedophile Jeffrey Epstein abuse young girls, capping off a dramatic fall from grace for the British socialite-turned-convict convicted sex trafficker. U.S. District Judge Allison Nathan said the sentence of 240 months was sufficient, but not ne- greater than necessary for Maxwell. Who then addressed the court and told her victims, "I am sorry for the pain that you have experienced. I hope my conviction and harsh incarceration brings you closure." She have said Maxwell sixty, wearing blue jean scrubs, her dark brown lock, uh, lock cut in a bob. Maxwell's face remained inscrutable as she learned her fate, and she left the courtroom without speaking to her siblings, who were sitting in a row behind her. Her attorneys requested that she serve out her time as a federal prison in Danbury, Connecticut, which is a low-security woman's lockup. That, uh, no word whether that's going to be granted or not. Her sentencing marked the end of federal criminal proceedings against her in the Southern District of Newark, where she was brought after arrest at a sprawling New Hampshire estate in July 2020. She could potentially get credit for two years. She's already served behind bars for good behavior. The heiress, who spent much of her life hobnobbing with the rich and famous, learned her famous uh, her fate months after she was convicted of grooming and trafficking teenagers for Epstein, a wealthy financier, and her online boyfriend. Four women testified at her widely publicized trial in Manhattan in federal court, and two of them and several other accusers also addressed the court Tuesday, calling on the judge to lock them up and throw away the key. Maxwell had many opportunities to come clean, but instead she continued to make choices that caused more harm. Annie Farmer, who testified at the trial, wrote in a statement filed ahead of the hearing. And he goes on. I mean, the stuff that you read and what happened in that is just so disheartening that uh, she could have this kind of behavior and continue it. Of course, uh, Epstein well, supposedly hung himself in jail, and uh, now Maxwell is going to get... Uh, 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 be the sophisticated predator is going to get uh, 20 years in prison. But I'll probably get a re- reduced sentence if she uh, behaves well in uh, in prison. Just very sad thing. Uh, the One guy, person said, Carolyn told jurors she was sexually abused by Epstein more than 100 times beginning when she was 14 years of age. She said she was introduced to the duo by Guffrey and first met them at Epstein's palatial Palm Beach estate. Something sexual happened every time she told jurors. Just so sad. Anyhow, confronted by grown women now and four of them having the courage to come forward at, to uh, make their accusations. Proud of them. you know. Took courage, I'm sure. But uh, the defendant didn't count on those teenage girls growing up into women who would testify at the trial. Sad deal indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Hardin, the host of The Bob Hardin Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 4541
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden show and now here's your host Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, Choice Social's a new refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app. I hope you will. The website is choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a a constitutional scholar, an author, and also chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and Focused on defending private property and free markets, securing individual rights and limited government. Cato.org on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. So we've been talking about for the last several weeks about immigration policy and law. Let's turn to birthright citizenship. Tell us about the so-called anchor baby question.
3: So we're talking about the doctrine that says anyone who is born here is automatically a US citizen. Uh, Under the common law, this birthright citizenship was granted to everybody except slaves and Indians. Then we had the infamous Dred Scott decision, which said that blacks were not citizens, even if they were freed. But the 14th Amendment overturned Dred Scott. And a half century later, in 1924, Indians were granted citizenship by statute. So that still left open the question, what does the 14th Amendment mean?
1: So uh, what does the 14th Amendment say about citizenship?
3: Well, the text is that all persons born or naturalized in the U.S. and, and these are the key words, subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. So the framers added that phrase, subject to the jurisdiction, to deny citizenship to two groups of people. One was children of foreign diplomats, and the second was children of enemy forces that were in hostile occupation hmm. of the U.S. Because neither of those groups, um, one because of diplomatic immunity, and the second because of being in war with them, neither was deemed to be subject to our jurisdiction. But I, I think it's fair to say that Congress surely did intend that children of permanent legal residents would be citizens. Indeed, the Supreme Court said that in a case back in 1898, called U.S. v. Wong Kim Ark, that permanent legal residents who had kids born in the United States they would be citizens.
1: Hmm. So, uh, what about the temporary residents and illegal aliens?
3: Well, the principle is less clear with respect to the temporary residents, for example, students and and tourists, Uh, and it's even murkier when you get to the question of illegal aliens. Uh, They and their children are subject to our laws, and they can be prosecuted, and they can be convicted of violations. So a natural reading of that phrase, subject to our jurisdiction, uh, suggests that their children are citizens of if they're born here. On the other hand, the 14th Amendment's framework probably didn't intend uh, birthright citizenship for illegal immigrants. Um, In 1868, when the 14th Amendment was ratified, there were no illegal immigrants because there was no law that restricted immigration. So I think the phrase subject to our jurisdiction back then meant a primary allegiance to the U.S. as sovereign an acceptance of the U.S. and not some other uh, entity or country as the principal uh, lawgiver. So that models the question.
1: That's so interesting. So what's your conclusion regarding the Anchor Baby question?
3: Well, my, my sense of the constitutional question goes like this. When the original meaning of the text of the Constitution is unambiguous, then the judges should adopt that meaning, unless it leads to really absurd consequences. But I I think here you can make the argument that the consequences may well be absurd. I mean, we have a legal rule that criminalizes unauthorized entry into the U.S. At the same time, we offer these folks a major inducement to unauthorized entry, Mm -hmm. and we do that by rewarding citizenship to the children of people who violate the law. So my guess is that if Congress were to deny citizenship to the children of illegal and non-permanent aliens, uh, the Supreme Court would probably uphold that law. It's a close call. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last time it, it came up was over a decade ago, 2011. Lindsey Graham introduced a bill that would have done that, but it never got a vote. So I I think the only thing that's not a close call is the question whether the president can do that unilaterally. Uh, He can't. It would take an act of Congress to do that. But if Congress were to try to do that, I think the Supreme Court would go along with it. I think the, the weight of the evidence is that children of illegal aliens were not covered by the 14th Amendment, although it is a matter of some dispute among legal scholars.
1: That's so interesting, Bob. So what are your views on the heated question of sanctuary cities?
3: Well, a number of cities uh, have refused to cooperate with the federal immigration authorities in in detaining and deporting uh, illegal aliens. Um, Trump responded to that by threatening to cut federal funding for those cities. So I I think that threat um, ignored some principles of federalism, uh, the most important of which is that you know federal law does supersede conflicting state law and the states they can't impede federal enforcement. On the other hand, neither Congress nor the president can commandeer state officials to execute federal law. So if the feds want their laws enforced and the local jurisdictions, Refuse to cooperate, then federal enforcement personnel have to be used. Mm-hmm. They can't force the states to provide law enforcement officials, and that's true whether we're talking about these sanctuary cities or, for that matter, gun—you <clears throat> know—gun background checks or, um, you know, most uh, prominent in the news of, of recently, has been marijuana laws, where there obviously are states who have passed laws that are conflicting with federal laws.
1: Yeah, well, yes. citizenship tourism and birthright citizenship tourism. Now we're going to have abortion <laughs> tourism. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah, unbelievable. Right. So is the president justified in withholding federal funds from sanctuary cities?
3: The Supreme Court has said that there has to be a logical connection um, <clears throat> between any federal funding that's withheld and the, uh, the goal of the law that the feds want to have enforced. So, for example, the the court allowed federal highway funds to be withheld as a means of enforcing a national speed limit, because in that case, highway funding and highway safety were deemed to be sufficiently closely linked. But if Congress were to withdraw highway funds, for example, to prevent sanctuary cities, I think the linkage would not be uh, sufficient. And... Again, if the president tried to do that without Congress's approval, I think it's even more likely that the court uh, would uh, intervene.
1: So interesting. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I hope you visit the website, cato.org, C-A-T-O dot Bob, really appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you so much. All right, coming up, I'm going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa. Andy is a professor. He's also the author of uh, Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show. Here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience.
0: Bob
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Uh, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples will be absolutely beautiful. Also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We usually start off with some good news. Do you have some good news for us?
2: I've got plenty of good news today and real good news as compared to, you know, having to uh, scratch it out at of, of the bottom of the news columns. Uh, but let me start out with a few comments about uh, the event on Monday, which will be Independence Day and uh, the critical nature of that. Perhaps July 4th, 1776 was the most important date in the history of mankind. Uh, but I think we have to just uh, take a step back and, and look at some of the circumstances that uh, that are misunderstood. In, in the first place, the the American Revolutionary War probably could best be called the the War of American Secession. It's a uh, process. It wasn't a war between two countries. It was a a war of secession where the colonialists were were removing themselves from the control of of Great Britain, and that was uh, exactly what happened. Uh, I think we have to look at what followed uh, the independence moment uh, in terms of whether or not we became a free nation. I think we always have to take a step back and understand that independence from by, from foreign control is not the same as freedom, that uh, in fact, most of what we call freedom is a derivative of being free from your own government. So I think we then have to really take a, a close look at, at at where we stand on that, look at some of the... Uh, The comments made during that uh, secession period, uh, the Declaration of Independence says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect safety and happiness. So, I mean, that that was the theme of, of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I think we can probably weigh uh, whether or not America has uh, kept to the the values established in the Declaration of Independence. Um, I I have become very no that's too strong. I have become more optimistic over the last several weeks than I've than I've been actually in quite a long time, Bob, in terms of the uh, the future of America. But uh, right now, uh, let's just celebrate American independence and perhaps more so uh, American freedom, which started with the. Uh, the War of American Secession,
1: Bob. Yeah, I'll just fine-tune that a little bit with my opinion. I'm thinking that uh, it, freedom implies that you can do anything you want, but along with this whole concept that we had in our Constitution, it's not only uh, to have the ability to be free, but also the responsibility to protect your freedom and to have uh, respect for others as well as yourself in going through the process. So uh, let's call it liberty rather than freedom
2: well i i totally agree with that obviously bob i mean there's no no doubt the wisdom of what you just said is is just not challengeable uh i think to, all too often we uh, i think probably the word that uh in the way you've uh, extended the word uh, freedom uh, to mean uh, primarily liberty for most for, for many americans uh the word is licensed that they have the right to do almost anything they want and i i think certainly that is uh, something that degrades freedom uh degrades Liberty yeah. and in, in the long run eliminates it Bob so uh, but I've become more optimistic as I said uh, over the last couple of weeks as uh, as the courts have uh, have suddenly found the uh, the willingness perhaps the, the the ability they always had the willingness seemed to be lacking uh, the willingness uh, to in fact enforce the actual intent of the Constitution. And we've seen that in, in several recent rulings, not only in the Supreme Court of the United States, but that could even be said as extending into the uh, into the Supreme Court of the state of New York,
0: Bob.
1: Uh, absolutely. I'm so happy you brought that up. And it, it, these decisions, uh, recent decisions by the Supreme Court, also in New York, it put a real sp- smile on my face because, I t- like like you, I'm beginning to feel a lot of hope about the future uh, and also, uh, just acknowledge uh, President Donald Trump for his legacy and how he put on good people for the Supreme Court.
2: Well, I think that will be uh, probably in the long run. I mean, I'm still optimistic there'll be another four years for Donald Trump in 2025, uh, starting in 2025. Uh, but if not, if not, certainly the uh, this, the strength of his selections and the confirmation process, uh, I think, will be an ongoing uh, legacy of the Trump administration perhaps for the next 25 or even 30 years, Bob.
1: Absolutely. So uh, let's uh, talk about some of the decisions then and why you uh, see them as being uh, applying to the Constitution.
2: Well, again, as you are probably aware, I am an originalist. Originalist means that I uh, weigh the quality of decisions based on whether they fulfill the original intent of, of of the document uh, and again, I, I think that is the only way a contract can be can be utilized if it's not that, if it does not uh, have a rigid format, in other words, it can't be a living document, Bob it must in fact have meaning, have significance and and regardless of this specific issue, to me regardless of the issue, it is always far more critical to uh, to go with the intent of the Constitution than in fact to affect any immediate uh, decision that is the derivative of the tyranny of today. Right. The tyranny of today is a, is an interesting phrase. I don't hear it enough, which which means that instead of uh, acting wisely, we become overwhelmed by the pressures of of this moment. And I think that what we're seeing now is the court uh, returning to uh, to the intent. I think we can see that with the certainly with the Dobbs decision. No doubt about that. That was a uh, a brave, heroic decision that was made by. Uh, by the court, uh, I think the uh, the right to carry that was uh, that overruled uh, New York State's restrictions was uh, was a powerful decision, uh, and there have been others that have, in fact, uh, I think, shown that the court is starting their discussions and ending their decision uh, with the issue of what was the intent of the designers of that constitution, and if there's any one thing. That has a significant chance of bringing back American values and American back to its its, uh, its original glory. It is that particular factor. So, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic that if this can be sustained, um, that America has a bright future. If not, then I'm again uh, I'm, I become my my old pessimistic
1: self. All right, but in my opinion, I mean, the, the whole notion about it, this was not necessarily about abortion, it was about the Constitution. Basically, the the uh, justices, in my opinion, said, hey, this is way out of our, uh, we're out of our lane when we start uh, talking about the about uh, abortion. That belongs to the states. So they should be making the decision about uh, the uh, local behavior of, the, of their populace as opposed to here in the uh, federal jurisdiction. So uh, to me, I think the decisions were brilliant in the sense that it really did go back to ignore a bad decision or or contradict or turn over a bad decision based on stereo decisis and rather uh, make a decision that was based on the Constitution.
2: I, I, I totally agree with that. with One, um, and I have to introduce a proviso for that, Bob, I, I have a, a, a marginal problem with anything with the, uh, the enduring precedent of, of Roe uh, that it be overturned. That it doesn't mean I don't think it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been overturned. I think it should have been overturned. Uh, on the other hand, I, uh, I do not want to see a, a wholesale uh, revisiting of, of Supreme Court decisions and having those decisions reversed uh, as they have stood for, for, for generations even uh, as precedent in this case, I think it was significant enough to warrant that reversal. Uh, but when I hear, for example, uh, Senator Manchin and Collins talking about, uh, they used the phrase, they were robbed. In other words, they, when they were interviewing Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, uh, as best I can tell, and we don't know the answer to this, but as best I can tell, they asked a direct question to both of these uh, nominees as to how they would react to a reversal of Roe Wade. Now, uh, that seems rather direct and specific, but let's presume that's the case. And both uh, answered in the affirmative that they would not uh, undo the precedent of, of Roe. <clears throat> so if I, I, that is something that bothers me. Uh, a nomination should go forward uh, on the basis of an accurate statement of the uh, of the judge's uh, positions. Uh, and I don't like uh, specificity. I like the the Ginsburg rule where uh, nothing is answered in, in any specificity, but uh, this, but, uh, those are two things that, that bother me as a constitutionalist and as someone is concerned with law and it's, uh, and it's decorum. Uh, those things bother me just a bit, not yeah. enough to get in the way of my joy, Bob, but just a
1: bit. Understood, Andy. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, continue our conversation. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees.
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue our conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always good to be with you,
1: Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, Roe v. Wade now overturned. uh, And uh, where do we go from here when it comes to the issue of abortion?
2: Let let me just make a few additional uh, court comments before I get there, although, of course, the abortion issue is a court issue. Um, I wanted to comment on the uh, the Supreme Court's um, ending, the extended penalties. Or for gun use when the specific party has not actually used the gun. In other words, there can be no extension of the use of a gun into all members of a criminal action. So uh, that was a uh, decision that was made by the court uh, that said you couldn't uh, bring a penalty against someone when there was no direct use on their part uh, of a gun. That was a uh, not a dramatically important decision, but I think it showed the court again moving more and more and more uh, towards the accurate interpretation of the intent uh, of the Constitution. I'd also like to highlight the Supreme Court, I alluded to this before, of New York State, uh, where they in fact uh, uh, barred the ability of non citizens in New York City elections to vote. Uh, again, I think that yeah. was a, a state Supreme Court but i think on the other hand i, I think it, it served as a uh, a shot across the bow of of those that are looking to have non citizens vote in all elections federal elections included so i think those are those are important uh, uh signs along the along the path bob that the courts are beginning to to move in the right direction with with far more courage and, and determination bob
1: yeah i agree with that i'm so happy you brought that up and another one is the uh sec the uh, louisiana uh, vote. The Supreme Court took up the maps uh, for uh, federal elections in Louisiana and upheld the, the maps that uh, they, as opposed to the gerrymandering uh, maps that the Democrats proposed, uh, they they stuck with the ones that the uh, GOP had designed uh, that are constitutional. So, again, another victory for uh, the Constitution.
2: Yeah, m- maybe I'm, I'm doing some, uh, some cherry picking. I don't think I am. I don't think you are. Uh, but I do seem to and we both, I think, feel the same way that we're seeing more and more of this. And I don't want to uh, keep uh, repeating that. But uh, to me, there's nothing more important going on in America uh, now than is the, the the courage being shown, the legal courage being shown by the courts. So I, I don't want to have to repeat that, but it's, it's an important point, point Bob.
1: Very know? important indeed. So uh, any other comments about the courts before we move on? Um, no, with the
2: abortion issue, which we'll talk about uh, now, is, is certainly with, within that, the, the Dobbs decision. Uh, as I mentioned to you off air, nothing uh, has generated as much commentary uh, to my essays uh, than has the, uh, the, the reversal of Roe Wade. Uh, it seems to um, uh, bring out so many different uh, perspectives, so many different views. Uh, uh, the comments back to me uh, after I publish have been dealing with morality, dealing with ethics, dealing with law, dealing with the Constitution, dealing with precedent. So uh, this has been a, uh, a wonderful platform. Yeah. You know, aside from the issue itself and the reversal itself, this has been a wonderful platform to, in fact, take a good, hard, long look at where we are, how we got here, and how we can get uh, back to a better place. So uh, First of all, when I look at the uh, the, the Dobbs decision, the reversal, uh, it certainly was not a an anti or pro abortion uh, decision. It was a purely legal decision. Yep. I, I think when I read, no, I know when I read that uh, the court came out and they they banned abortion, or the court has come out against abortion. That is not true. Uh, the court has has merely said what is quite obvious to anyone uh, that this decision did not. Uh, deserved to be in the hands of the supreme court of the united states it was a state-based decision so yeah i mean that that is the the issue uh it is a legal issue not an issue of abortion Uh, of course it will be that as time unfolds but that is not because of the supreme court's decision uh in some of the the writings and research i i've done on this and uh this is certainly commonly available information so it's not that i had to dig very uh, very hard. And I was somewhat surprised that the uh, the number of uh, when I asked the question uh, in a search who who has abortions that 85 uh, percent of the abortions 85 percent are in fact uh, obtained by unmarried women 85 percent. That's a huge number, mm-hmm. and 60 percent of those are women in their twenties. So we can make the the general point that abortion uh, is something that is primarily a, and I'm gonna use the term very facetiously actually, that abortion is the contraceptive choice for women in their 20s uh, to, uh, to undo an unwanted pregnancy. When we look at the numbers of abortions each year, the numbers are to me startling. There are uh, 925,000 abortions each year, almost almost a million and one in five of the pregnancies, one in five of all pregnancies are and result in abortion. Those no numbers idea. are repugnant to me. They're, they're overwhelming in their implication, uh, and uh, just nothing, nothing explains them. Uh, I recently published an essay that dealt with the, uh, the mechanisms where women could avoid uh, becoming pregnant. I, I thought this was rather obvious, but apparently not, Bob. You know, we can look at certainly abstinence, we can look at sterilization, we can look at coitus interruptus, we can look at a lot of, of different things. And then we can scan a long list of contraceptive devices that used appropriately are almost 100% effective. Uh, and even when not used absolutely uh, as they should be used, they still are in the low 90s in terms of effectiveness. So when I look at numbers like this, 925,000 abortions a year, wow. and I say there are, uh, there are uh, uh, an abundant mechanisms abundant mechanisms uh, to, uh, to prevent a, a pregnancy, how in the world does it happen unless there is just a lack of caring, a lack of commitment to the single act, of not getting pregnant,
1: Bob. Those are such interesting numbers. I had no idea, so thank you for sharing that with us, Andy. But, you know, I think right now, now that this law has passed and we'll see state laws implemented, I think people will have more information, women will have more information, men too, to, uh, to make decisions about abortion and uh, birth control for sure. Uh, in my opinion, I'll just share this, uh, that the, the, whole, the whole issue is when does abortion become murder? And uh, it has to do with, of course, we've learned so much because of the uh, science that we have in order to determine what, what a baby feels or what a child feels in, in the uh, uh, during during the pregnancy. So I, my personal opinion is that we do need some legal stand, with, whether it's a, uh, 15 weeks or whatever it might be, that uh, abortions uh, can be, uh, and uh, hopefully will be done judiciously and uh, not with... Cavalierly, but nevertheless, uh, it's up to the to the mother, up to the woman, as to whether she wants an abortion. Up to a certain period, maybe it's fifteen weeks. I'm not sure. That's what it is in Florida. And uh, after that, it's it's murder and should be treated as such.
2: Well, Florida's number is probably going to come down. I'm guessing, uh,
1: are predicting that that the fifteen weeks will come down
2: to twelve weeks. Um, in fact, the the issue of viability is uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, many many debates. Certainly, it is, it is the key issue. I, I think it's been uh, bandied about. I don't want to be uh, cavalier about it, but bandied about for years with, with no real resolution. I, if I might, Bob, I, I actually think the original design, not the illegal design, because I'm totally against the legal um, process that was used to, uh, for Roe Wade. But in terms of the design of Roe Wade itself, uh, I I support that the the th- the, the three trimesters mm-hmm. um, uh, the model of the first trimester twelve weeks approximately no uh, no control of government west uh, whatsoever there's no vested interest uh, of the government in that first twelve week period and as it should be applied. In the last 12 weeks no abortion is possible uh that becomes the act of murder so i think that if we look at uh, roe as it was actually designed not as it's been warped for many years for 50 years uh, by by um, you know those that are trying to gain as much uh, from it as they can to abort uh, i think you can see in roe wade um, a good model Uh, what i see now and i predict will happen uh, the states that are inherently anti-abortion will become more dramatically so. I think the states that are pro-choice will become even more so than they are now. So I think we're going to find, and this is going to be unfortunate, I think we'll find some states in which uh, abortion can be held anytime. Uh, before natural delivery and I, that seems so extreme to me and so so repugnant to me more morally and legally yeah. that I can't believe it but I I think it will happen on the other hand I think other states will ban abortion including the the day after pill the the RU284 pill so um, certainly of of those two the the worst is the uh is the the total allowance for abortion but on the other hand i think absolutely no allowance even for for, for the zygote uh, is not going to be a good position of government
1: to take uh, well said andy i mean i think it's going to spawn a whole new industry too of uh abortion tourism <laughs> going to new york state and california and other places in uh, where and back basically uh Letitia james said you know what if you come to uh, new york and get get an abortion we'll put up we'll put you up you and your family while you're getting the abortion for a couple of days and then you can go home so unbelievable andy we got more so much more to cover can you stick around
2: i will be here bob
1: all right we're gonna have more here on the bob Harden show on the bob Harden broadcasting network
0: stay tuned for more of the bob hardin show here on the bob hardin broadcasting network Come back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We were talking with Andrew Joppa. He is a professor, also author of a, a great book. It's off topic, but it's called Josephus of Oz. I hope you check it out. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, uh, any
1: uh, follow-up uh, comments about uh, jurisprudence? Just, just a,
2: yeah, yeah, just a, uh, perhaps one or two. Uh, Joe Biden, in his inimitable fashion, was was absolutely wrong in a comment he made where he described the United States' position now on abortion as being an outlier, so to speak, among civilized nations. Uh, And in fact, if you just look at at the numbers, we are only one of seven nations in the world, one of seven, that allows for elective abortion after 20 weeks, one of seven. Hmm. So no, that... uh, our position uh, is that is where our outlier position is. Uh, we can also look at 47 of the 50 European uh, nations restrict abortions to 15 weeks or earlier. So you know, the United States has been one of the more, um, uh, let's say, um, I, liberal? The I a liberal,
1: liberal, liberal, was,
2: was the nation that perhaps was most allowing in terms of creating a model or where abortion could could be uh, obtained right uh, if we look at across the uh, the world and we look at europe certainly the uh, those those uh, those areas we were the one that was the most uh, willing to allow abortion in almost any circumstance bob and that uh, that i think was a, a disgrace to the united states so just wanted to say that biden of course uh, made the comment. Uh, he was absolutely wrong about it. He's done that a, a hundred times. And so this was, this was no different.
1: I would absolutely agree with that. One other point is that uh, polls are showing that 50% of the people in the United States uh, agree with the decision of, uh, uh, that the court made on abortion. So uh, I think that's important because there's a lot of uh, s- statements around, you know, people are going to rebel and there's going to be violence in the streets and so forth. Well, I'm not sure it's going to materialize.
2: Well, that's particular. Well, I don't know about that. That's uh, we'll see. I was just uh, reading uh, last night that most of the the activity is taking place in the states with the most liberal abortion laws. Right. (laughs) It seems to be absolutely a a, a contradiction. But that that seems to be the case. Uh, Of course, that's where you're going to find most of the progressive radicals in those states. uh, And hence, you're going to get most of the activity. But, you know, this is going to be, I think, an issue that I hope does not. Uh, determine the outcome of elections, statewide elections uh, for the uh, indefinite future. Uh, there are other issues. There are other issues that have perhaps much more immediacy than, than the abortion issue. Uh, and I hope we don't turn this constantly uh, into a purely abortion. And by the way, if it does become that, Then we'll find states constantly vacillating in their positioning on abortion. Yeah, I I think that doesn't serve anyone well. So I'm hoping we can uh, produce a stability. I think the states that want liberal abortion laws, I I don't want that. But if that's their way to go, fine, lock yourselves in to something reasonable. And for those that want to limit abortion, lock yourself into a a model that is firm and uh, and a a quality, a quality uh, moderated
3: uh, model, Bob.
1: All right. So, Andy, before I let you go, there's also that we, we just uh, had uh, primary votes last night. And uh, what are your thoughts on, on voting?
2: Well, the, with the time we have, I just want to mention the, uh, the issue that uh, I, I just don't understand the issue of crossover voting in primaries. Uh, crossover voting, um, simply for, for, your, for your listeners who may not be aware of it, is uh, you have a party primary uh, which obviously, uh, it's a party primary. It's to choose the best candidate for that party. And yet, in many states, many states, uh, anyone from any party, I- independents or any party, can cross over and vote in the other party's primary. I just have never understood that uh, the logic behind it. I. I'm guessing there might be some. I just have not been able to find the logic. Uh, Another issue in the moment we have left here, Bob, is uh, what's being promoted um, in in several situations is what's called sleepers. Sleepers are the advocacy by many Democrats uh, that some Democrats run as Republicans. They package themselves as hard uh, red, red state Republicans, and they run as Republicans, and yet. Uh, they are essentially a uh, progressive leftists, So there's more advocacy for these uh, for these sleepers to, in fact, try to steal elections. And then when they get into office, fulfill themselves, not as as conservatives as they ran, but as uh, as liberals they always were.
1: Well, you're pointing out some these m- issues confuse me. I will, I will say issues. this, that uh crossover voting, it's not something that the Democrats have uh, have uh uh, patented it because it's happening with Republicans as well. So I'll say that it's a it's a dirty trick that's played on both sides, quite frankly. Uh, the Wait, the they, the other issue, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, no, the other issue, of course, is uh, is uh, around uh, the sleepers, and uh, you know, it's, again. It's uh, it's just people have to be informed. They have to make informed decisions about who they're going to vote for. I'll, I'll add into that, you know, the uh, Soros nominees that we see, for for example, in San Francisco and Los Angeles and uh, Illinois and other places. So you really have to pay attention to who's running, what they really believe, and who you want to vote for. You can't just leave it up to the other guy.
2: It, it's It's really tough stuff. I mean, I was... Just reading about the uh, the January 6th hearings yesterday and the uh, the outrageous absurdity that was uh, was being broadcast and and being presented to the House and yeah. uh, certainly the the American people that are watching this are, are just being totally molded into something that's a a, a a lie in terms of the entire process of January 6th.
1: No question, Andrew Jopp again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Aunt Andy always enjoy. Uh, your very interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>